Happy Love Month. There's some kind of big deal going on this afternoon. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's a football game. Hey, let's talk about love. Let's not talk about football. Let's talk about love. Uh, if this is your first time here, I want to welcome you. Really, really glad you're here. If you're tracking with us online, uh, maybe in Santa Rosa, uh, really great to see you guys. Don't see you, but you know, you know what I mean. But uh, a lot of people, you know, when they're traveling, when they're out, and they can be with us online, and that's awesome. But there's nothing like being here in the room. And I uh, just want to say, if you're here with us in the room, welcome. It's great, great to have you. As Mike shared, uh, we're doing a brand new series called Love Illuminated. And uh, you know this, uh, this, this month, love gets marketed heavily, doesn't it? Okay, that, that, that special someone, uh, get her flowers, get her cards, get her some jewels, okay? And, and my favorite of all time, what I think you should get that special someone is chocolate. Get chocolate. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is it that most holidays, almost all of them, somehow slip a little chocolate in there, don't they? You know, you got Easter coming up, and we'll, we'll get the chocolate bunnies and the eggs and the chocolate, right? And the summertime comes, and there's chocolate cake. Uh, I saw a recipe book said uh, 50 chocolate cake recipes for all occasions, right? And so in that spirit of chocolate, I wanted, you know, I got a chocolate problem, okay? Do we, do we have any people in here that are allergic to chocolate? Ooh, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you. Okay? I pray for you. But chocolate is powerful. Okay? And people could say, man, I love chocolate. I love chocolate. A British survey has revealed that nine out of ten people like chocolate. And the tenth person lied. <laughs> Anything good and useful. Anything is good and useful if it's made of chocolate. Put eat chocolate at the top of your to-do list today, and you'll be sure to get at least one thing done. There's nothing better than a good friend, except a good friend with chocolate. A little too much chocolate is just about right. And the best thing, and the best things in life are chocolate. And that's how I feel about chocolate. But let's be honest. You know, people say, uh, I love chocolate. I love cars. I love clothes. I love things. But can you really honestly be in love with something? And that's why this is so important, this series that we're doing, Love Illuminated, because I got to be honest with you guys. Love really requires somebody else, someone. You can't really be in a reciprocal relationship with something. You may like it a lot, but that doesn't define love. See, in the world that we live in today, dark, you know, there's a lot of darkness surrounding love, a lot of questions. People don't know what love is, and they, they basically sell it cheap, and that's not really love. And so today what we're going to do is begin a series called Love Illuminated, and we want to shine some light on love. 
We want to really learn about love. And, and one of the incredible things is God created you and me for relationships. And he created us with love in mind, with love wrapped all around it. And, and I want us to talk about this for the next four weeks. And we're going to talk about, uh, you know, different levels of relationships. But when you talk about the Bible, you basically sum up this, this, this love story. You can sum it up in three categories, three words. And when you look at the Bible, the Bible talks about three things. And, and the first one is redemption, righteousness, and heavily, heavily about relationships. And this is where we're going to camp out for the next four weeks. Why? Because I believe you and I need this. Because see, some of our relationships are in trouble. And some of us have lost faith in love. And see, this sign back here is not lit up in your life. The lights have gone dark. And you're wondering if you'll ever find love. You'll, you're wondering if love will ever really shine in your life. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about this, this whole idea of, of illuminating love, and we're going to talk about relationships, and we're going to talk about them at, at different levels. We're going to talk about today our relationship with God. And he, wants a, he really, really wants a relationship with God, and I hope by the end of the day you'll, you'll be convinced of that. But then we're going to talk about next week spousal relationships. You say, well, I'm not married. Trust me, you, you want to be here next week because you want to understand from God's vantage point what his intention was because the world's got it all messed up. And I, I can tell you right now, that institution is in, in real, real trouble. But we can build it back. And if we'll stop and listen to our creator and listen not with our ears but with our hearts, I believe God can teach us something about love and I believe that love can once again illuminate in our lives and illuminate in our church and illuminate in our families. So that's what we're going to do. And, and we're not going to talk about, you know, superficial, you know, acquaintance relationships. We're going to talk about deep, meaningful, lasting relationships because that's what love is. You see, God created us with love in mind. It began in Genesis when, when God created man. He gave, he gave, you know, he created man and then he created all these animals. And it says here in chapter 2, verse 20, it says, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds, the sky, and all the wild animals. Do we have any animal lovers in the house? And I, I, you know, I love animals, but let's just, let's just check this, okay, for a second. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. In other words, those relationships. Rover, he just doesn't do it, right? Can you really have a relationship with your dog? I mean, you could love your dog. It can be something special, and he looks at you like that, and, you know, tongue out and all that. You know, you get attached, but God's saying none of these relationships with these animals is suitable. So he created a woman. And we're going to talk about that next week. And, and it's very, very powerful what he talks about. That's why God created a woman. And that's why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Something happens. 
when a man and a woman get together in the institution of marriage. See, because they leave what was the prior relationship, a family, and they become one, something really, really deep, something powerful. And we'll talk about that more next week. And it's so powerful that God refers to his relationship with the church like a husband and wife. So make sure you're here with us next week. God wants a relationship not just between us, but with us. And he wants a relationship with us on an individual level. And, you know, when I first realized this, I mean, it just blew me away that God wants a relationship with me. You know, and and let me just say this. People come to church for a lot of reasons. But I hope that you can understand why you really need to come to church and what's the intention of, of coming to church. It's all about a relationship. Let me show you what I mean. The first guy that we hear about, a close, intimate relationship, is in Genesis chapter 5. His name is Enoch. And this is in the voice uh, version of the Bible, which I'm reading this year. It's it's awesome, really, really helping me. But it says here in Genesis 5, 21 and 22, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered a son whose name, whose son named Methuselah. After Methuselah was born, Enoch lived in a close relationship with God for 300 more years. He also had other sons and daughters. What's just tell you about Enoch? And, and kind of think about this. What did that relationship look like? He lived, and, and your version may say, he walked with God. There's power in that too. Think about that. Does this a once in a while, once in a week relationship? I'll call you. Call me. No. We're talking, they, they talked daily. There was a deep connection. It goes even further. This is powerful. He lived to be 365 years old, but Enoch had such a close relationship, close, close and intimate relationship with God, that one day he vanished. God took him. Stop and think about that. Why did God take him? Man, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this distance. I want to be closer. And they, like that. You know, the first time when I read this passage, and it was even before I was a, a Christian, before I really gave my life to, to Jesus, first time I read this, I said, I want this. I want this. Not the vanish part and the take me away part, but I want a close relationship with God. See, because I I understood there's more to this life than stuff. And and there was something inside of me, my soul was crying out saying, hey, I want a relationship with God. I want to walk with God. I want to connect with God. See, and I want you to understand something. Not everybody wants that. Not everybody wants this. See, because the older I get, and as I look around and I meet people and I talk to people, there are people not interested in this. They got their own deal and their own interests. And, and you know, church can kind of play into some of that. People come to church for different reasons. They, they come because they want insurance, especially when there's hard times in their lives, they come to church. And they want help, but they don't want a relationship 
Some people come to church because they want insurance. I just want to tell you that God is not an insurance salesman. And no knocks on insurance salesmen. I got good friends who are insurance salesmen. We got a lot of love, okay, between me and insurance salesmen. But that's not who God is. Let me break it down for you. What does God want with you? He wants a relationship. And you got to decide. Is that what you want to be about? And it's okay if you don't. Well, it's not okay, but it's your decision. See, because my, my conviction from what I've learned in reading about this relationship is that that's why God created us. See, that's what makes the wheels go around. That's what makes the engine run and hum in our lives is when we get that. And so Enoch got it. And then we go to the next guy. He got it. Anybody know his name? Very next chapter. Genesis chapter 6. His name is Noah. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. In other words, he and God had a special thing, and they walked together. You know, when you go for a walk with somebody, it, it's, it's pretty special, isn't it? You get to talk, and there's time, and, you know, stuff comes out in a walk, right? He did this all the time, but here's something about Here's something about Noah. He was a righteous man among the people of his time. And you need to understand this. The people of his time in Genesis 6 were very wicked. See, this was dark. This word was dark. You know why it was dark? Because everybody was about me and my ego. That was, that was what was tracking in the world at that time. It's all about me it's all about my ego, and it was crazy. And for that reason, God said, you know what? This, 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 is, all, this is all gone wrong, and we got to hit the reset button. And what does he do with Noah? He says, Noah, I, I want to start over with you and your family. I want you to build an ark, and I'm going to wipe the slate clean. And he said, well, I don't know if I believe in that. Listen, Jesus talked about Noah. That's why I believe in Noah. See, because if Jesus said it, I believe it. You know why I believe it? Because Jesus said it? Because Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection, and he pulled it off. I think I can trust anything he says with somebody who predicts their own death, and they pull it off. That's why I believe it. And then after the flood, you know, the storm's clear and dry land shows up. And, and look at what God says to Noah in verse 18. He says, but I will establish my covenant. This word here is something we're going to talk a lot about in the next four weeks. It's a special relationship. I'm going to establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your, your sons and will in your lives with you. He says, basically, I'm going to establish this relationship with not just you, Noah, but with your sons and daughters. This first time this word is ever used, covenant. Let's break this down. What, what, what is a covenant? And this is huge because all really deep and powerful relationships are built on this. It says it's a spiritual bond between two or more peoples or parties. It's something deep. 
And it's basically a commitment that you make to somebody or a group of people. Two groups can be a part of it. And let me tell you about the difference because sometimes we get these words confused. Contract and covenant. We think, oh, a covenant is a contract. No, no, there's a difference, a huge difference. Look at this. Uh, uh, A covenant is characterized by what one can give versus what one can get. A contract is based on what I can get out of it. Let me give you an example. You want to buy buy a car and you don't have the money. What do you do? You go to the bank and they make a contract with you, right? You with me? Now, the the bank is just in it for you, right? The bank wants to give you a car. They're not in it for themselves, are they? No, 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 man. They're in it for themselves, let me tell you. They're going to charge you what the car costs and then some. And that and some is a lot more than you realize because it's over time. So the bank is in it for what? Themselves. And you're in it for who? Myself. See, I get a car free and clear. I can have the car now and I'll pay for it later. That's awesome. So contracts are all about what? Me what I can get out of it. And the two parties come together and they say, I'm going to do this for me, you do this for you, and we'll sign an agreement. Covenant is totally different. Covenant is all about what I'm going to give in this relationship. See, I'm putting forth something. And then we read about Noah and it says, God said to Noah and his sons with him, now I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that walks the earth. This is powerful because God makes a covenant with Noah and his descendants and with all the creatures. That's pretty cool. After the, And what's the covenant, the agreement that he makes? Hey, Noah, I want you to walk with me, keep this relationship, and, and let's do this together. Do what pleases me, and I'll help you out, and we'll, we'll, we'll be good. And then he gives them a sign right after this, after the storm. Anybody know what the sign was? To seal the covenant. A rainbow. And if you know your Bible and you see a rainbow, you can know, hey, there's God saying it again. And it's the coolest thing. I love you, and I'm not going to destroy the earth again by water. No more floods. You don't have to worry about the flood anymore. I'll leave it at that. Then we jump to the next, and this is where we want to spend some time, Abram. This whole idea of a covenant starts with Abram. And and God comes to Abram and says, Abram, I want to do something special with you. I want to bless you. I, I, I want you to leave where you are, and I want you to go to this place that I'm going to give you and your descendants. So what does Abram do? He goes. And he says, God, I'm going to take you at your word, and, and I'm going to go. And, and, and God keeps saying this to him through, through chapter 12 through 15, and he keeps saying, he t- takes his, tells him, go outside, look at the stars, and I want you to watch. And, and right now, I want you to watch. See, because I believe that sometimes the way the Bible can come to life is when we watch it. You didn't know you'd come to watch a movie, did you? Well, you get to watch a movie. Guys love a movie, right? So this is for you guys. Track with me. It's 12 minutes long. I want you to stay focused. Put the phone down. It can wait. All right? Whatever you got going on, just just watch this video. If we could lower the lights, 
and we're going to watch this 12-minute segment about Abraham, Genesis 12 through 15. household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and he took his nephew Lot with him and set out for the land of Canaan. What have you done now? Our livestock, they need rest, they need water. Of course they do. It's a long journey. Indeed it is. A journey you said was commanded by God. Ah. Some are starting to see you're mad. What do you say, Lot? Why did you decide to bring me? Why did you decide to come? Ever since my father died, you've treated me like your son. You've divided your possessions to me. I, I could never repay you. You'll never have to, Lot. You'll never have to. <laughs> with Abram, and both he and Lot increased greatly, and their abundance was so great that the land could not support both of them, and there were quarrels between the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot. Lot, God has given us great abundance. The land can no longer support both of us in one place. And I've heard that there are quarrels between our herdsmen. My men were there first. Lot, is not the whole land before us? If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. The plains of Jordan are beautiful and well watered like the garden of the Lord. I choose the east. So be it. Lot, God go with you. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company 
Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plains and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. of Jordan. King Keteloma had taken all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they have Lot. Lot? They've taken Lot and all of his possessions. Arm the man! Master, they have an entire army. We have 300 men at best. God will be with us. safe now, Lot. Master, we've defeated the entire army and recovered all the people and spoils of Sodom and the God has given us a great victory. Gather up the people. Sodom has asked for you. There's an assembly in the Valley of the Kings. Lot? Yes. Stay with me.
taken all from me, and the mighty Abram brought it back. I am the king of Sodom. We are here to celebrate your victory. I'm very pleased to have been able to rescue the people. My nephew, Lot here, he's very dear to me. Come to my table. Who is that man? Melchizedek, king of Salem. Some people say he's a king, others a priest. I say neither. I am Melchizedek, priest of God Most High. I brought you bread and wine from my table. Come and eat. Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, who has delivered your enemy into your hand. I have taken the spoils of battle. They are mine. And to you, Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, King of Salem, a tenth of all. <laughs> Abram, you are a generous man who has reclaimed all that was taken from me. Give me the people and take all the goods for yourself, all of them. I have sworn before the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing. I will take not a thread, not a sandal, nothing that is yours, for fear you may say I have made a rich. I will take nothing except what my young men have eaten and a share for those men that went with me. But to Melchizedek goes a tenth of all. Very well. Wait. Abram. Abram, do not be afraid, Abram, for I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Lord God. Lord God, what, what would you give me seeing that I am childless? One born a servant in my house is my heir this man will not be your heir but one that comes from your own body he shall be your heir go outside look towards the heavens and count the stars If you are able to count them, so shall your descendants be. 
that Abraham. Abram at this point. He's in his late 80s, maybe early 90s, and still willing to go out and fight for his family. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And the first time that it's ever mentioned, he talks about this whole idea of a tithe because he's come face to face with this strange character in the Bible, Melchizedek. And if you read in the book of Hebrews, in the letter of Hebrews, You'll see what that's all about, but we don't have time for that today. But, you know, I appreciated Abram because, you know, the way that, that he loved God, he worshiped God, but this night in Genesis 15, I, I got I to gotta break it down for you. God, God told him, he said, Abram, I, I'm your, your shield and your very great reward. But if you read what, what Abram says after that, he he says, I, I trust you, God. But then he opens up a little more. Just like any real deep relationship, he says, how will I be sure? See, Abram's a lot like us. He's got trust issues. And he needed some assurance. I mean, he loved God, and, and, I, and I appreciate so much the way he would get on his knees and worship God and praise God. But he had issues. And he said, God, how can, I, how can I be sure about this promise that you've given me? And then the, one of the strangest things happens in chapter 15. You can read it for yourself, but I'm going to break it down for you. God tells Abram, he says, I, I want to show you that you can trust me. I'm going to make this really clear at your level that you can trust me. And he tells Abram to get five animals, a cow, bull, a goat, and a ram sheep, and then a dove and a pigeon. And I want you to take the, the larger animals and cut them in half. And basically, Abram knew what was happening, okay, because this was very common for the people at that time. It was called an animal covenant, a blood covenant. And, and it looked like this. They would, and I, I got a drawing because you don't want the real picture, right? But they, he cut the animals in half, and the blood would pour out. And this was very common for the people at the time. In fact, in these smaller communities in the Middle East, there's still some very isolated practices of this. But at Abram's time, he knew exactly what God was about to do. God was about to establish a covenant, an agreement, a bond agreement with Abram. And you gotta, you gotta understand, this is kind of scary. I mean, would you go into a bond agreement with the Lord Almighty? But what they would do is they, they would cut these animals in half and there would form in the middle what 
this, this pool of blood or a blood path. And what they would literally do is the two parties making the agreement is they would walk up the blood path barefooted. And the two parties that were making this agreement would say these words. If I don't fulfill my part of this bond agreement, may what happened to these animals happen to me. It was a way of communicating this is a life or death agreement that I'm making with the other party. Married parents, parents of married children would sometimes do this. The, the father of the groom and the father of the bride would do this. Maybe not four or five animals, but they take one and they form this blood path. And the father of the groom would go first and he would walk down the path and he would say, if my son doesn't fulfill his marital responsibilities to your daughter, you can take my life. You can spill my blood. And the father of the bride, the same. If she's unfaithful, hey, it's on me. So this whole ordeal that, that Abram is doing, he understands perfectly what's happening. But God goes to Abram's level. Why do you think God did this for Abram? Because he had trust issues. And he wanted, he wanted to know, he wanted Abram to know, I am dead serious about fulfilling my half of the agreement with you. I'm going to communicate this, Abram, in a way that you're going to understand, in the way that your culture understands. And for us, it's kind of brutal. But I can tell you this. A lot of our agreements today are about that thick. They mean nothing. These days, they were dead serious. When you made a, an agreement with somebody, it, it, was, it was life or death. And that was the way they communicated. For us, maybe a large sum of money, but even that. And so they, they went through this. And what happened, the interesting thing is, when it came time for Abram to walk the blood path, this burning kettle pot, smoking, flaming smoking, appears and walks the path between the two, or the, the, the five animals. And this symbolized the presence of God. See, because God revealed himself many occasions with fire and smoke. What is God communicating to Abram when it's his turn to walk the blood path? God takes his place. See, A Abram never walked the blood path. There was no blood on his feet. God assumed responsibility for his side and for Abram's side. See, because Abram needed assurance, and God said, I'm going to give you what you need. Do you think this had any impact on Abram's life? Whew. Read the rest of the chapters. Later on in Abram's life, he makes one of the biggest sacrifices that any individual's made. God gave him a son, Isaac, and what did he do with his son, Isaac? You can read about it. But what gave Abram that trust to be able to do that? This is what did it for him. This, 
And, and, and God said, on this day, after the, 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 the whole ceremony and, and, and God walked the path for him, he said, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. In this animal ceremony, God walks the path of blood in Abram's place. This has huge ramifications for us. And I'm going to parallel it for you. What is, what is God saying to Abram in this situation? He's basically saying, Abram, listen, I love you, and I got you. I got you. I got your side of the bargain. See, because I know... Here's the truth. Abram couldn't fulfill his side of the bargain, and we know that. You read chapter 17. You read the following chapters, and he wasn't perfect, was he? I can relate to that. In fact, when he was cutting the animals, I bet he was terrified. I'm about to enter into an agreement that there's no way I can fulfill this. I, I, can't, I can't make good on this agreement with the Lord I know my character. I, I lie. I'm not honest. I got trust issues. And so God says, you know, I know all that about you, but I got you. I got you. And basically, it freed him up. It freed him up to, to say, I'm going to serve you, God. I'm going to trust you because you showed me. You showed me in a way that I understand, in a, in a language that I get. We made this agreement, and it's, it's, it's in blood. We read further, jump ahead in Romans 4, verse 16. It says, therefore, Paul talks about this. The promise comes by faith so that, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abram's offspring. Who's he talking about? He says it. Not only those who are of the law, meaning the Jews, but of those who have the faith of Abraham, he is the father of us all. See, when God made that blood covenant, he said, Abram, not just you, but your descendants. I'm going to make good on this agreement. Now let me fast forward you to another group of people that had trouble trusting in and Jesus and these, these individuals had been promised a lot. And fast forward to the Last Supper when Jesus was there with his disciples. Think about the 12 there. Do you think they had any trust issues with what Jesus was promising them? Yep. You think they had any self-doubt? I realize, Jesus, that you're going to make this agreement with me and you're going to fulfill your part, but especially Peter. You know what? It's almost like a guarantee fail. And what does Jesus do? Jesus does something that blows them and us away. Look at what he does. While they were eating, celebrating the Passover, Jesus 
he took, he took the bread and he gave thanks to God for the bread and then, and then, he, then, he, then he broke he broke the bread and he said and he gave it to his disciples he said take this and eat this this is my body are there any parallels he 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 doesn't stop there he he takes he takes the cup and he says he says to the disciples he said then he took the cup and and then he had given thanks and he gave it to them and he said, drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, the new covenant. And this blood that I'm showing you is symbolic of what I'm about to do for you. I'm about to pour it out for you and for the people that follow you for the forgiveness of their sins. Basically what takes place in this Last Supper, it's a blood covenant. Jesus is covering his side. And see, a lot of people don't understand. They, 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 they look at the cross and they go, this is, so, this is so horrific, why so much blood? And if you watch the Passion, bloody. It's gruesome. He said, why? Why so much blood? I want you to understand God's really serious about this agreement that he's making with us. When, when Jesus dies on the cross like this for us, and see, this, this is just a symbol. This, this, is, this is actually happening this is his broken body and the blood that's covered everywhere, all over his face and, and, and it's just, just pouring out. He's saying, I'm walking the bloodline for you in your place. See, because I know you're not gonna be able to live up to this I know you're not going to fulfill your side of this agreement. And what is Jesus saying to us? What is God saying to us through the cross? He's saying this, I love you and I got you. I got my side and I got your side. You want to know how badly God wants a relationship with us? You know how badly God wants to ensure in a relationship with us? This is how bad God wants to ensure that you know I love you and I got you. I got you. So now... As you move forward in your life, you can trust me. But the question is, is this really going to reach your heart? 
See, because it's not for here, it's for here. Abram, he got it. He got it. He said, everything that I have is yours. Jesus' disciples, they got it. Because you can read about it. How did all but one die? For their faith. In prison for their faith. John says it this way. He says, he defines what love. He illuminates love for us. He says, this is how we know what love is. Tell me, John, what is love? This is love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then he tells us what we need to do if we want to live in love. What do we need to do? What Abraham did, what the apostles did, what anyone does when they understand what a deep covenant relationship means. And the backdrop behind all relationships, because you know these kinds of relationships, they're messy. If I enter into a covenant with you, guess what? You know me. I may not fulfill everything, but God covers us both. And it gives us confidence to forgive and move forward. But, you know, what does this look like? You know, when you, when you got your life and, you know, your life is kind of like a, like a shopping bag. You know, you, you got your stuff, right? And, and, and you got all kinds of stuff in your, in your life. And, and, and you realize, you know, what, what is Jesus saying? Everything, everything that I have, I'm putting it all out there for you. I risk it all for you. And then we come to Jesus and we say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to lay it down. I'm going I'm to lay it down. I'm, I'm going I'm to lay down this. And I'm, I'm going to lay down this. And not do it for now. But I'm going to hold on to this. You don't understand. The reason you're holding on to this because you're not letting go. And you're not letting God. And you're not letting Jesus take you, hold you, and give you security to know, I got you. See, what John is saying is when you understand the cross, you got it all, God. Everything I have is yours. Rest, all the stuff that I got, it's on loan. You got me. I know you got me, but you got me. I'm giving you my life. And, and I just want to say this, church. A lot of us, we're, we're, we don't understand the covenant relationship at its core. See, God wants an all-in relationship with you but it can only be reciprocated by an all-in relationship from you. Have you laid it down? Are you still holding on to something? And I understand it's a struggle for all of us, but if you really want to know what love is, if you want it to be illuminated in your life and in your children's life, got to follow what John is saying here. 
So right now we're going to take the communion, but I really, I really want you to realize what Jesus wants us to celebrate when we take the communion. That this is my body. Like the blood path, I broke it for you, my body. And, and, and this, this grape juice, this is my blood. And, and I went through it for you. So you can trust me. Will you trust me? And it's a time for us to make that decision. Let's pray for the communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much for your word. It's so powerful. Thank you for Abram and the way that you came down to his level so he could understand that you're trustworthy. God, thank you for Jesus, that you came down to our level, Jesus, so we can understand how passionate you are about a relationship with you. I pray, God, that today our communion can be something different than it's ever been. And that this week we can wrestle with our trust issues, our lack of forgiveness issues. And God, we can start moving in your direction to let go. Father, we lift up Jesus, his body, his blood right now. Please bless this communion. Bless our church and bless your church all over the world, God, that you will revive the covenant that all disciples have with you. Help us, forgive us for holding back. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.